But let's turn in the Word of God this morning and focus on what God has shown us in His Word this morning from John chapter 3. We went through the, to the end of John chapter 2 last week, and this is one of those portions of Scripture where the chapter divisions are a little, uh, a little unfortunate. Uh, the divide there where we've got chapter 3 is kind of right in the middle of a transition period. So we're going to start back at the end of chapter 2 and read our way through chapter 3. We're only going to be looking at probably the first 13 verses or so through chapter 13, but I want to read right through to verse 21 so we see the whole conversation as we make our way through it. So let's begin here. Uh, John chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 23. Now, When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a man uh, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master, or art thou the teacher of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this interaction that we have recorded for us in your word. And may we learn the lessons and hear the great truths. May they revive and stir our hearts 
for the glory of the salvation that has happened within us. Lord, may it stir in the hearts of those who don't know you yet as Savior, that they too might not only know what it means to be born again, but experience being born again. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, hearing people's testimonies of salvation is always enjoyable. Uh, and hearing how people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Uh, what makes it enjoyable, I think, as you, you hear that, is no testimony is the same. Nobody comes to Jesus Christ in the same way. The circumstances are different and reasons why they came are different. And the, the results of that salvation are often very different in the way it comes out in our lives. Some have very dramatic stories of conversion where they've come from, from great darkness, it seems, and, and very wicked ways into Jesus Christ. And so that, that moment of change can be very easily identified. Say, that was the, the moment I got saved, uh, much like the, the thief on the cross. Uh, for, for some, they were saved young and uh, as, as children perhaps as it seems like Timothy was, and learned the, the truths very early, grasped those, and, and found salvation in Jesus Christ young. For some, it comes much later in life, and find uh, at the end of life that becomes a reality for them. For some, you know, some have those dramatic changes, and for others, their salvation seems more like they grew into it. It's hard to identify one moment where, say, that was the, the moment I got saved. But uh, even though there's no defining moment, there is absolute certainty that they believe Jesus Christ as Savior. And so we all have different ways which we have been brought to Jesus Christ. And no matter how or when you come to Jesus Christ, whether it's massively dramatic or in old age or as a young child, however you came, the, the, the truth is salvation is a miracle is a miracle no matter how it happens, and in no matter whose life it takes place, it is genuinely a miracle of God. Here, as we come to John chapter 3, we come to perhaps one of the most famous passages of all of Scripture, uh, which includes John 3.16, and of course Nicodemus is, is very well known amongst uh, church people and those who know their Bible even a little. Uh, and so we're introduced to this man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one who has seen Jesus do miracles and has heard him speak. And it's probable that Nicodemus was even in the temple when Jesus cleared it out, as we talked last week, and saw what was going on and heard the commotion and what Jesus had to say. As we come into chapter 3, the end of chapter 2 in chapter 3, see, Nicodemus sees that and he wants to know more. Who is this guy who goes into the temple and turns things over? Who is this man who can heal people and do these miracles? Something unique about this man needs to be known. He wants to know more, so he goes to find out. Of course, this is where we come to this idea of the new birth, where Jesus introduces us to that idea. The new birth is a... It's a hard concept to explain, and it can be a little confusion, and sometimes does cause confusion, as we see with Nicodemus. As Jesus introduces this idea to Nicodemus, it causes him some uh, misunderstanding and some confusion, and he needs to think through what Jesus is trying to say here. So what is this born-again idea? 
You're, for some people, maybe it's the, uh, the tag that you're given by others. You know, I've had people who, who I, I talk to, people I've worked with even, and say, uh, you tell them you're a Christian and say, so are you one of those born-againers? They yep, I'm one of those born-againers. Um, it's uh, kind of a tag to identify what sort of Christian you might be. Uh, so it's not always clear amongst the people around us what that means. But the idea of being born again, this truth of born again, runs all the way through Scripture from beginning to end. It's a truth that runs all the way through the Bible. Sometimes we see it referred to in terms of regeneration or transformation. These are all words which describe the concept of new birth that Jesus talks about here in John chapter 3. So we learn this, what it means to be born again and why we need it here from Jesus. We're introduced in verse 1 of chapter 3 to Nicodemus. We see that he's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he is a, a Pharisee, a religious leader. Some think, that um, some of the historians and, and all think that he is possibly related to the famous Jewish historian Josephus. And that's possible, it's not, not certain for sure, but we do know that he was dedicated to keeping the law. So he was a Pharisee, and he, he might even describe himself like Paul did as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's referred later on as the teacher of Israel. So he has a very significant place. He's highly influential. He is part of the Sanhedrin, we find out later in John. Uh, also, a few of the details we learn about him through John is that he was uh, also not just highly in influential, but wealthy, uh, very wealthy, uh, and probably the preeminent teacher in Israel. It says in verse 2, it says, the same came to Jesus by night. He comes by night. Now, he may have come by night um, to keep the visit secret. That may have been his reason to go, because um, we know from what we do know of Nicodemus, up until his burial, when he and Joseph of Arimathea take him off the cross and bury him, Nicodemus was not one of the most outgoing disciples of Jesus. In fact, we don't even really know at what point in his life he believes Jesus is Savior. I don't think it was here, but certainly sometime after here, he comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior, but was never an outspoken disciple. So it is perhaps plausible that he came at night because he didn't want others to know that he was there of the Sanhedrin. But coming at night doesn't necessarily mean that he was timid or that he was afraid. It also very well may be a cultural thing. Amongst the leaders of Israel at the time, it was considered godly to do your study at night. A saying went something like, like this, study at night and be blessed by day. So it was not uncommon for these religious leaders at night to be studying or learning and doing their work by candlelight in the evening in the belief that if they did that during the night, their day would be blessed. So it is plausible here that Nicodemus has come to Jesus because he thinks he's doing a godly thing by studying, by learning more of who God is and studying about these ideas in the evening. So what does Jesus mean here? When Jesus introduces this topic to him and this idea of new birth, what does he mean? And how can you be born again? This is what we want to speak about this morning and understanding what Jesus says. Jesus is very clear, you must be born again. 
Why do I need that? Do I have to, or is it only for some, this idea of being born again? The answer to the question of why I need to be born again lies in the very nature of who we are as people, in our humanity. Christianity differs from almost, well, probably every religion in the world in that we view humanity differently. Most religions, most people through the world view humanity and, and mankind as predominantly good with a few bad eggs. Christianity, as we see in the Bible, describes it in the opposite manner, that is, that we are by nature evil and need to be rescued from that evil. The Bible teaches that that is our nature. And so, by nature, it teaches us that we must be born again because, firstly, you are selfish. This is how the Bible speaks to us and talks to us as who we are as people, generally. You are selfish. Verse 24 of John chapter 2 says, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. God knows you. God knows you. Like Jesus tells us here, he knows all men. An example, that first Corinthians, or first Kings, I should say, in the Old Testament, speaking of God, it says, Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive, and do, and give to every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. For thou, even thou, knowest the hearts of all the children of men. God knows our hearts. Jesus knows all men, and he knows our hearts because Jesus is God. He is God. This is what John has been setting up for us in the first part of his, his gospel. In his omniscience, that is, in his all-knowingness, he knows all about us. In his omnipresence, that is, his, his universal presence everywhere, he knows all about every one of us everywhere. So there is no one that escapes the eye and the knowledge of God. Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, Neither is there uh, any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Everyone and everywhere comes under the eye of God. You cannot hide from God. Colossians tells us in Colossians chapter 2 that he holds all wisdom and all knowledge in himself. You are not out of God's sight. He knows you. And that can be both a comforting thing and a confronting thing, depending on where you stand with God. But the truth is, no matter who you are, no matter where you're at, God knows you and he knows everything about you. God knows you and God knows what is in you. He knows what is in you. He says that this knowledge that we find in, in verse 23 and 24 and all, this knowledge that Jesus has of us kept him from committing himself to the people. So it holds him back. What, what is it that is holding Jesus back at this time? It says he didn't commit himself to them because he knew what was in them. So what is it that is holding Jesus back here, that it keeps him from committing himself to these people? See, Jesus doesn't just know about you or know that you exist. Jesus knows the depths of your heart. He knows what is deep inside each of one of us. What is it that is in you and me that God sees? Sin. Jeremiah chapter 20, we're told, But, O Lord of hosts, 
Thou triest the righteous and seeth the reins. Or by reins he means the, the kidneys. It's kind of the, the literal description of it, but it means the, the innermost places of secret. Triest the reins and the heart. Let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I opened my cause. It is God knows the deepest secrets in us. David described it this way in his psalm of confession, Psalm 51. It says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desireth truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Sin, if we're to define sin, sin is uh, primarily our rebellion against God. We would give it a basic definition. That would be primarily what it is. Sin is primarily our rebellion against God. How, though, is that rebellion seen? How do we see that rebellion? Because we don't see, we, I mean, we, we do see it, but we don't see it in everyone walking down the street saying, I hate God, I will not. It comes in different forms. So how do we predominantly see this rebellion in our hearts? We predominantly see the rebellion through selfishness and pride. That's how we see the rebellion in our heart toward God. So instead of giving God glory, we seek to give ourselves glory. We seek to please ourselves. We seek to fulfill our own desires. Instead of giving God the glory and honor that he is due, we steal it for ourselves, for our own pleasure, for our own desires. Why are we told in the end of John chapter 2, and even in the beginning of John chapter 3, why are the people following Jesus? They're following Jesus because they saw his miracles. They're following Jesus because they're selfish. They see there is something in Jesus that might benefit them. That's why they're following Jesus. That's why Jesus holds back from committing them to him because he knows they are following him for selfish reasons. Sin is expressed in their heart. And we're no different. You know, our generation is no different to that generation. We have the same problem. James, when he is describing for us uh, temptation and sin and how it works in our lives, in James chapter 1, uh, verse 14 and 15, he says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts. This, that is what pleases me, what makes me feel good, what satisfies me his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And so our refusal, our rebellion against God is, I want to please my own desires, not to submit to the God who deserves honor, and the result is, in the end, death. The end result of rejecting God for ourselves is separation from him. You must be born again because firstly, you are selfish. Secondly, you must be born again, not just because you are selfish, but because you are superficial. You are superficial. Our text in chapter three, verse one continues, then there was a man of Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from, from, come from God. And what's putting this in his mind? No man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. You are superficial because like the people here and like Nicodemus, you get excited by signs. 
You get excited by what you see. Sin causes us to look at God superficially. We are naturally, because of the sin that indwells us, because of our pride and our selfishness, we are naturally drawn to the external over the internal. We will seek what is on the outside more than we will what is necessary on the inside. Like the people, what drew Nicodemus to Jesus firstly was the signs. He came to Jesus that night because he'd seen Jesus do the signs and said, because he's done the signs, something special must be about him. I want to know what that is. So it was the signs that first brought Nicodemus to Jesus. He wants to know what he can get out of him. This is like so many people treating Jesus, treating God like a lottery ticket. Do enough, God will give me what I want. He'll make my life better. We want the Jesus that we're told will make life good, that we're told will make life exciting and happy for us. Yeah, and that's what we want from our God. No matter who we look at that to be, we want it to be for us. We get excited about signs, about the external, and you expect God to accept you. We expect God to accept us, no matter where we are. Nicodemus comes here and he speaks to, to Jesus, uh, asking what's going on. But Nicodemus comes and he's asking about the, this, the, the miracles and who this Jesus is. Because Nicodemus expected that he would be in the kingdom of God. And he expected that he would be in the kingdom of God because he was a Jew. Because he was a Jew, he assumed... The kingdom is for me. And when the kingdom comes, I will be in it. Further, he was a Jew that kept the law. He taught the law. So he had a lot of reasons where in his mind, he assumed and expected God to accept him. Because he was a great Jew. He was a good Jew. So part of what confuses Nicodemus is Jesus saying those, those things don't get you into the kingdom. He's assuming they do get him into the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no, those things don't get you into the kingdom, even though you're a Jew. They don't get you into the kingdom. In our selfishness and our pride, we assume that God is going to accept us because we're good. We may, we may see it differently because you know, we're not Jews, so we don't have those promises, but we expect the same thing from God. God couldn't send me to hell. I'm a good person. I'm hardworking. You know, I'm, I'm one of the, the salt of the earth people, you know, good, hardworking, middle class, caring person. I work hard. I try and do good. I try to be, to, to be better than the, the villains and the wicked. God couldn't possibly reject me. And the majority of this world live their life assuming God will accept them based on what we think. Like Nicodemus, we assume this because uh, that this religious God will accept. God won't send me to hell because I'm a good church-going person that dresses right, that listens to the right music, that doesn't swear, that gives offering and talks about Bible stuff. 
Surely God wouldn't send somebody like that to hell, would he? Because I do the right things. To Nicodemus, this was a startling claim. This rocked his world. This is part of what causes his great confusion. When Jesus says, just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you enter the kingdom, it shakes everything. What? God won't accept me the way I am? Why? And that's the same truth that we all have to face in some point. What? God won't accept me the way I am? Just trying to be good, trying to do the right things, isn't going to get me acceptance by him? Maybe that's startling to you. Maybe this morning already you're thinking, man, he's harsh today, isn't he? That coronavirus has screwed him up. The truth is hard. And this is part of what makes the beauty of what Jesus is about to say so beautiful is because it is shaking the very core of Nicodemus' life and expectations. And that's what the gospel is. That is what it means to be born again. It changes everything. It shakes the foundation of what we expect and what we assume God to be. But there is some good news here. See, as we look here and we see Jesus doesn't give himself to the people because he knows that they're there for sinful and selfish reasons, and most of them very quickly are going to be gone. Nicodemus, however, comes to Jesus. And so just like Nicodemus goes to Jesus, the benefit this morning is you're here to learn. Nicodemus didn't just stop at seeing the miracles and follow Jesus. He said, those miracles call me to know more. He's gone to find out, what is this man about? Why is he here? There is hope. Nicodemus came because of the miracles. But the difference between Nicodemus and most of the others was that Nicodemus was drawn to know more. Clearly, he sees Jesus was from God. And you're here this morning, not by accident. You want to know who Jesus is. You're listening online, perhaps now or later, because you want to know who Jesus is. But the thing is that as Nicodemus comes and he professes, you must be from God because you do these miracles, Jesus doesn't affirm that confession. So when Nicodemus says, you must be from God because you do miracles, Jesus doesn't say, yes, you're right. That's really good, Nicodemus. He changes tack completely and puts Nicodemus off foot. Because where Nicodemus is going with that question isn't going to help him. So we're then left, as we go through this, say, what does that mean? What does it mean to be born Again, what does Jesus mean here? Verse 3 continues, and this is where Jesus flips the tables on him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Of God. That which is born to the flesh is flesh, and that which is born to the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, You must be born again. 
the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and where it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So what does it mean to be born again? It means, firstly, this. You have a transformed nature. You have a transformed nature. That is, you are made new. You are made new. Now, the answer Jesus gives, if you just read through this, the answer seems very abrupt, doesn't it? Nicodemus says, you must be from God because of the miracles. And Jesus says, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. It doesn't seem to, to fit, at least in, in our minds, it seems kind of abrupt here. But it does follow naturally along. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is that the kingdom isn't in the miracles. The power he has here isn't in the miracles. The power, the kingdom, is in a radically changed life. That's where we find the kingdom. Not in the miracles, in the changed life. It's also very clear, without this change of life, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. These are emphatic. It means you must be born again. There's no other way. It's exclusive here in the way Jesus speaks of it. The problem is our nature of rebellion against God. Our selfishness, our superficiality, they put us against God. Born again is a concept which runs all the way through the New Testament. I said it runs all the way through the Bible, but it's, it's exposed and shown deeply through the New Testament. It's a change that is so radical that there's no other way to describe it besides a new birth, a new life. It's that radical that a complete new life. See, natural birth comes and it enables us to live in this world. So we need some way to live in the next. The second birth, to be born again, is what prepares us to live in the world to come. Without that birth, I'm unable to live in that world. I'm not prepared. I can't live in that world unless I'm born into it. I must be born into it. First Peter chapter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. That phrase, begotten us again, means caused us to be born again. It's what begotten us again means. Caused us to be born again. He repeats that same idea through First Peter as he goes through. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Regeneration, new birth, renewing by the Holy Spirit. New birth or regeneration is God giving us a new nature. Many of us will be familiar with 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, dead. Behold, all things have become new, entirely new. Verse 5, Jesus tells us here, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I send to you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, 
he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It is a transformed nature in that you are made new, but also that you are washed clean. What does Jesus mean when he says to be born of water and of spirit? Some think that to be born of water is reference to natural birth. Not likely. Um, the ancient world at this time, as, as I understand it, didn't really speak of birth in those ways and that form. So it's not likely Jesus was speaking here of natural birth. Some think that Jesus is referring to baptism, particularly to John's baptism of repentance. Uh, but again, there's no, nowhere else within the Gospel of John which connects the two like that. So that's not likely that he's speaking of baptism either, even John's baptism of repentance. What seems most likely in the way that it's used, in the way that's used throughout the rest of Scripture, is Jesus is really using two different phrases or two different ways of describing the same thing. That when he says to be born of water and of the Spirit, he's describing the same process, but in different ways. Let me explain just a moment. So water throughout the New Testament is often used as a symbol of the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will say the same thing in John chapter 7. So in John chapter 7, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit. So it's not uncommon for Jesus himself to use water as a picture of the Spirit. Why? Why is he using water as a picture of the Spirit? Well, let's go back to the verse we just read a moment ago in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Spirit. It is a picture of the work that the Spirit does in renewing. That is, that he washes us clean. He makes us no longer dirty like we were in our rebellion, but the Spirit, through his active work in salvation, washes away the sin to make us clean, white as snow in Isaiah. We are made new. We are washed clean. Now this comes from above. The phrase born again can also be translated and is in fact translated in other places as from above. So in John chapter 3 and verse 31, the same word is used, but there it's translated as from above. So the, the right, it, born again is right, but it implies something great. What it implies is this process, this idea of new birth, of being born again, comes from above. It comes from above. It is a new birth. It is entirely bestowed by God. It's not a change of life that comes by turning over a new leaf. So this isn't, I found Jesus, and I'm going to make a new start in my life. It's not about turning over a new leaf, or doing the right thing, or trying to make the right changes. It's not about what I can do. This new birth is very truly from above, not from below. It comes from above. 
It can't be done with our own effort. Titus 3.5 again, not by works of righteousness. It can't be from below. It is a transformation, a regeneration, a new birth, which is entirely a divine work. You have a transformed nature and you have a transformed destiny into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Nicodemus was expecting an earthly kingdom. He was not convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, but he seemed convinced that Jesus was at least a prophet who could get him close to the kingdom because of the miracles. Yes, the kingdom does include a physical nature to it. But what Jesus is speaking about here when he says that you need the new birth to get into the kingdom, he's not talking about the physical kingdom. He's talking about something bigger, something more magnificent, something far greater than just an earthly presence of God. Romans 14, we're told in a description of the kingdom, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is, it's not found in the physical. It's found in the spiritual. The kingdom Jesus speaks of here is found in the gospel. The kingdom Jesus speaks of here is found only in Jesus. That's why Nicodemus' world is turned upside down because he's assuming... I'm a Jew, the kingdom is for the Jews, and the kingdom is with the Messiah on earth, so I'm in the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, it's bigger than that. It's more important than that. It has to do with me. And that's where verse 14, 15, and 16 come so deeply into play. Entering the kingdom of God comes only through Jesus. He is the only entrance into the kingdom, which is why Jesus says, And no man, in verse 13, hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So what does it mean to be born again? It means you have a transformed nature. It means you have a transformed destiny, and you have been transformed spiritually. You may not be able to explain it. Jesus uses the illustration there. In verse 4, Nicodemus's question may sound ridiculous. You know, Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born when he's old? And it may sound like, come on, Nicodemus, that's a ridiculous question. But it's, it's, it's not meant to be ridiculous. It, it actually it doesn't mean Nicodemus is dumb or not thinking through it. It actually makes sense. His question really expresses this idea. It's meant to sound like a ridiculous question because it is a ridiculous question. That is... It's impossible for a man to physically be born again. So how can that possibly be true spiritually? It baffles his mind. The impossibility of one means it can't be possible for the other. It doesn't make sense to him. Jesus gives the illustration. Now, he's not speaking scientifically, of course, but experientially with the wind. You know, the wind comes, we know it comes, we can feel it come, and then it goes. And as we're standing here, we go, well, the wind came from that way, but where did it start? And it goes that way, but we don't know where it's going, and we don't know what effects it will have on the other end. This is the illustration Jesus makes. This is, it's just like, like your new birth. You may not know how it happens and the results that come of that, but 
When the wind comes, you know it's there, don't you? So Jesus says, so is the new birth. You may not be able to understand how I can make you new. And you may not be able to understand how that changes everything you are. But you know it's true. Because you can feel it. By feel it, I don't mean some tingly feeling. But you have the experience. You know your life has been changed. The results, the effects are clear. You can't deny it. So lastly, and this is is my shortest point, so you're okay. How does this happen? How does it happen? Jesus tells us in these last few verses, firstly, it happens by the Spirit. This is a work of the Spirit of God, not by natural knowledge. Nicodemus answers in verse 9 and said unto him, how can these things be? Now, Nicodemus is no novice. He is, as we see in verse, verse 10, he is the teacher of Israel. He is, he is, he's not an idiot, this man. He's, he's very smart. But all of that knowledge, all of that study, all of that progress he has made in life has not brought him closer to God. Salvation isn't just a mental ascent. An acknowledging that, yes, Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus is a good guy. We need enlightening. Paul says it like this, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We need to be enabled to see spiritual things. We need help to understand things that are outside of our understanding outside of our sight. That's why Nicodemus is there. He's been enlightened. He wants to know more, and that's probably why you're here too. It comes by the Spirit. It comes by faith. I said Nicodemus' question in verse 9 is important. It seems he is asking, how can I make this happen? How do I get this new birth? If this, is, if this is true, Jesus, how can it be mine? That seems to be the essence of what he's asking here in that, that question. Jesus isn't saying, just trust me, Nicodemus, just trust me. It's definitely true. That's not how Jesus answers. No, no, come on, you, you'll be right, just trust me, it's all good. There's more to it than that. Nicodemus was no dummy. God is not calling us to blind acceptance. But this new birth, this salvation that God calls us to, isn't, isn't God saying, that's nah, all cool, just trust me. That's not how God works. There's faith, belief in the nature of Jesus. What is he calling him to? He didn't say, no, just trust me. He's saying, look at who I am. See who I am. Hear what I say. Know who I am, know my character, and put your trust not in some idea, put your trust in me, he says to Nicodemus. It's about the nature of Jesus, the great hope. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus here is something Nicodemus knew very well, but hadn't connected the dots yet. Nicodemus 
was being told what the, the prophet in Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 36 about the new covenant. That he will give them a new heart. Nicodemus didn't realize it, but that's exactly what Jesus was explaining to him. How does that new covenant come to place in my life? By the Spirit, by faith, finally by grace. Jesus knows the way. You may not understand it all or how it works or any of those details, but Jesus does because he's been there. That's why he says in verse 13, no one knows in heaven because they haven't been there, but I've been there because I came from there. Jesus knows the way, and because Jesus knows the way, he came to make the way known. He came to make the way for us to heaven. The new birth is a hard concept to understand. We, we, we know this. God, God gives you a new start, a, a new clean nature. This is what the Bible tells us. The ability to live as God intended. To know the wonder of God's kingdom, both now and in eternity. Both spiritually and eventually physically. This new birth, this new transformed life, only comes, though, through Jesus. There is no other way for it to happen. Nicodemus asks the question, how can this be mine? And Jesus' answer, which we will get into in more depth in the weeks to come, in verse 14, 15, and 16, is, believe me. Believe me. Believe that Jesus is God who came down from heaven. Believe that he came to make a way to heaven. Believe that he came to rescue you from your selfishness and your superficiality. To transform you. To wash you clean and to make you new and give you life eternal. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus can make you clean. Confess your sin and follow Jesus. Maybe today will be the day that you are born again. Believer, you have been born again. So why are these passages so important? Why are they so lovely to us? Because they help us grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. They help us grow in grace. They help us understand what Jesus has done in our life. They fuel our, our lives and our hearts with thanksgiving. As we've been singing, they revive us and they fill our hearts with praise. Let these truths fill you so that you can share the glorious news of the gospel and you can explain the glorious gospel. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful examples we have seen in your word. And, and we thank you for, for this new birth that you have taken us. And because of our belief in Jesus Christ for what he has done for us, you have washed us clean. You have rid us 
of the selfishness of our nature and the superficiality of our heart and given us the ability to know truth and depth and reality. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning, anyone watching or listening now or in the future, dear God, that if they feel your call through the scriptures to know more, that they will come to know the new birth today. Help us to live this with passion and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.